Hello, hello. You found us again on Boomerangs. This is Ruth. And this is Mike. We're going to talk about cancel culture mm. because we <laughs> did our home, some homework on yes. cancel culture. 50% of us are informed about <laughs> what cancel culture is. Here's what I understand about cancel culture that I didn't understand last week. I didn't understand that Al Franken was an example of cancel culture and that it can go back like Kevin Hart and the Academy Awards. He made a gay joke and his option to host the Academy Awards was negated because so many people just piled on him after this joke was discovered. And I think it was something to the effect of if I saw my son playing with a dollhouse, something right. about playing with a dollhouse and, right. and something very negative would happen something to him. Something that could be hurtful to people. So I think when it goes that far back, it doesn't allow for the idea that people can change and their attitudes toward things can change. I don't know that Kevin Hart did the best job that could have been done with what was discovered about his past, but then I don't know that he did the worst job either. I don't know that he could have been reclaimed because there was such an avid desire to crush him. Mm. And that's what I understand about cancel culture. Al Franken's sort of same thing. There was more of a dividing line, I think, between women who felt that he should step down. So cancel culture, is it a synonym for intolerance of speech or actions that are determined unacceptable by the collective? Yes, it's a kind of PC-ness, that if you determine that someone has some very un-PC behavior mm -hmm. in their past, then you can blast them. And I think it's also a, a result of having Twitter and Instagram and ways mm -hmm. of being able to pile on and basically destroy their current ability to function. Professionally. Or... Actually professionally. I mean, you would have to have some sort of a public profile. Right. right? In the Twitterverse, I imagine, not that I'm on Twitter, really. I mean, I have a profile there, but I, I never use it. But my understanding is that people pile onto each other there constantly. And that's kind of what the whole point of it is. That but the right wing is using it a lot. Like Kaylee McEnany says it a lot. People like that, Trumpers, use it a lot. So oh, they say that he's being canceled. I don't know what they're saying. They're just saying they don't approve of the cancel culture. And I think they're talking about people saying that certain views or statements that express yeah, hatred are not to be tolerated. Yes. That's why, to me, it just sounds like a rehash of the whole PC thing that came out, whatever that was, 20 years ago, they came out with politically correct. And, you know, if you said anything like people should be treated fairly and we shouldn't be insulting each other, then someone would say, oh, that's just political correctness. So my sense is that cancel culture is just a synonym for political correctness. I guess it is because I think Trump's presidency is a reaction to political correctness, a reaction to the idea that one should mm -hmm. not use the N-word. One should right. not say negative things about women. One should not grab them by the genitals and things like That's that right. and brag That's about right. it. One shouldn't do that. And that was one of the things I think that people who don't like PC culture really mm -hmm. responded to with Trump, that he didn't care. Right, right. the face of all of that as unpolitically correct as you could get. Oh, man. I think I'm in favor of political correctness and cancel culture because I think it's right to call unacceptable behavior unacceptable behavior. Well, I think the reason that it gets a bad rap is that you could find something like there was someone who was hired to be on Saturday Night Live and he this was just last year 
and he had, I think, some. It was a homophobic thing, wasn't it? I or think it was a homophobic thing. That he and, said. And it was his, it was his current routine. Mm -hmm. And for that, you kind of have to say, well, do we really want someone who's using that representing us on a weekly basis? And right. Do we want to endorse that kind of speech? So it can work. But, you know, it can work in the opposite way, too. Yeah, like it did with Franken. Yes, where something happened and it would have been tasteless. Right. And she had a scenario of things that went on that sounded disgusting. Right. At the same time, he was a senator working for women's rights. Yeah, and the behavior was from 20 years ago or something. Yeah, 10 years ago, I guess, yeah. five or 10 years prior. So yeah, when it's used on the right, it's got a different connotation. If there's something called cancel culture and we could apply it to Trump and actually cancel him like he's a bad TV series and just cancel him. I'd be him, all for it. I would, exactly, that's what I'm saying. So, <laughs> you know, it's, I guess context counts in this thing. It does make me sad to look back on Franklin. It's too bad he wasn't able to do what that guy, that governor of Virginia did was it oh, Virginia completely. where he North North Trump, yeah. he stood up for himself and he argued he back and he, he said I, I was wrong I shouldn't have done it but I'm not I've learned and I you know he stood up for the principle of a person can grow and change and apologize and make amends Yes, and he also disavowed the fact that he was he was not sure that he was actually the person who was in the costume that- oh, That's right. Oh, about Franken. It was really Chuck Schumer who told him, you need to resign by five o'clock or I'm going to announce that you have been taken down. And wow. that was what happened. And I don't think a lot of people knew that. I read about it because there was an article somewhere, some big article in some magazine that I read. Was it The New Yorker? I feel like every time I mention a magazine, it's The New Yorker. So let's say it's something else. Let's say it was at the Atlantic. That's a good one. And he laid out the various steps of how this whole thing came about. And really it was, he was going to fight it, but Schumer was the one who, this does not make me fond of Chuck Schumer at all. Right, right. Who, told him that he had until five o'clock to make his announcement. Hmm. So there you have that. Yeah. Anyway, I think what you're reacting to is just the extremity of cancel culture, that it is so almost, I want to say atavistic in a way. Mm -hmm. It feels so high tech and yet so primitive at the same time. Yeah, I, I think the only person I hear saying it, I, I watch way too many YouTubes and I watch way too many YouTubes of Kaylee McEnany because she's the one who says it and, it and it pisses me off. Speaking of YouTube, have you come upon any of the Lincoln Project commercials? I watch them, yeah, they're fun. You know who's involved in that? Yeah, Mr. Mr. Conway. Conway. Maybe it's Randy Rhodes who says, I don't know why they're doing it and I don't really trust them, but I like the spots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're really I good. I don't know what their ultimate strategy is, what they're really trying to do. An article I saw said that they really hate Trump and that those commercial spots are really aimed at him for him to see, to mess with his mind. And, and if I that's think, true, I'm all, I'm all for it. I think they're doing something that's both laudable and questionable, which mm -hmm. is that they're blowing up their party. I thought you were going to say too, that they're, they're promoting a myth that there's some kind of honorable core of the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. Even with Stephanie Miller, I get really mad when they talk about the glory days of Reagan. Oh yeah. You know, Reagan wouldn't recognize this. Goldwater wouldn't recognize this. That racism was going on with Goldwater. Oh, yeah. It was going on oh, with Reagan. Reagan did that whole welfare queen thing. Oh, completely. And completely. Reagan was, he was a lot subtler than Donald Trump, but he was just as toxic on race. Um, well, also about gays. I mean, and look gays at, and look at HIV and the whole thing. So that's the one thing I don't really like about the Lincoln Project is there's a certain self-righteousness to it that I don't think is warranted because I think the party is rotten to the core. The thing is, 
true conservatives really don't like government. I mean, that's the problem is that, you know, Stephanie Miller keeps saying this. They tell everybody that government doesn't work, then they get elected and prove it. And there's mm -hmm. no greater poster boy for that than Donald Trump. Right. Because he, he destroys. has broken it all. But And it's not really sincere. They don't like the idea of government, but any government program that benefits them, they don't want you to touch it. It's right. like, I hate government, but don't touch my social security. Yes. And what they originally were about, and I have said this ad nauseum, I think, on our little podcast, but out of the boardroom and out of the bedroom, they don't want want government getting involved. And that should have been, then gays have the right to do whatever the hell they want because men, women, whatever consenting adult, right. they have the right to. Exactly. And what about the doctor's office? Why don't they back out of the doctor's office with these abortion restrictions? And you know that abortion rights, they were conservative women who were for abortion rights originally. Oh, right. Because it was a freedom issue, a, li yeah. a personal liberty. Yes. Yeah. And, and that yeah. changed, I think, with Jimmy Carter and with Reagan. It'll be interesting to see after this election, if Trump is voted out, it will be interesting to see what the shards of the Republican Party turn out to be and see if they will be able to reinvent themselves in some way. They'll have to invent something because right now they right. don't have anything. The Republican Party convention has a platform that it's using from 2016. It yeah. hasn't even rewritten the platform. Right. Right, they don't care. Um, they don't care. <laughs> okay, here's a baby boomer arc to look at. Uh -huh. When we were in the 60s, the radicals were the left. And one of the many slogans that came out of the left movement, hippie and all of that, was burn, baby, burn. Uh -huh. And burn it down, shut it down, all that. In other words, destroy it. And now here we are, these many decades later, and the burn it down people are the right wingers that want to take down government. So they've taken on the establishment is corrupt, burn it down. Huh. Let me think on what, that for a minute. Because Trump is a destroyer. He likes to tear stuff down. That's all That's he does. True. That's true. Yeah. We wanted to burn things down because government was untransparent. Because right. it was run by the military, basically. And they were right. keeping a war, perpetuating a war that mm -hmm. was serving no one. And that was the institution that we wanted to burn down. Yes, the motivations were different. But the tactic or the, what would you say, the method the of destruction are kind of similar. Well, actually, I think that because there was a lot of activism in colleges, a lot of that had to do with the fact that college students were going to be drafted. Draft was going on, yeah, that changed a lot. That changed, I think, if the draft were going on now, we'd have a whole different picture. Yeah. If people were drafted to go to Afghanistan and do all of that, but right. that wouldn't happen under this president. So anyway. I was going to say, it's interesting to me that back in the day, we were inclined more towards being, if not apologists for Russia, having a more kind of nuanced view, yes. not building them up as the total boogeyman, uh, although obviously there were serious concerns about nuclear proliferation and things like that that mattered. And now we're the ones that are harsh on Russia, and it's the Trumpies and the right-wingers that are looking the other way while Russia does what it does. Well, that's a difference between, I think, someone like Gorbachev and someone like Putin, mm -hmm. and the difference in the way that their governments are now aligned. Because yeah. Putin is an authoritarian, and Gorbachev had more democratic tendencies, and he let the USSR crumble, essentially. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but even no. before then, even in the Khrushchev days, I mean, there was Cuban Missile Crisis and all of that in the 60s, so we definitely were not the liberals, Democrats, or left-winger types like me. We were not. It wasn't so much we were in favor of cozying up to Russia, but compared to the Republicans that I went to school with at Berkeley Hall, it was all about the Russians scare. And you'd go to Knott's Berry Farm and there'd be those John Birch Society John Birch things. Yes. Yeah. 
And so compared to the right wing, we had a little more nuanced and relaxed view about Russia. And yeah. now, now we're the ones screaming fire. Well, and I think part of it was that Ho Chi Minh was the face of the Communist Party in Vietnam. And that once we turned around and said, why not let him take over? He was educated in, I think, in the States or in England. Mm -hmm. And he wants something better for his people. He yeah. wants them to not be colonial. Right. But we were stuck in the domino theory paranoia. Exactly. So I think that that kind of seeded our opinion that communism was a straw man. Is that the right word? Yeah. You know, that Ken Burns on Vietnam that came out a couple of years back. I've got um, to watch that. Oh, the most amazing point that they make very early in it, in like the first episode, is that Ho Chi Minh had the goal of democratizing Vietnam and making it a republic. And he looked to us first. He thought right. we would come to his aid because right. he saw a dovetailing of his goals with what we were ostensibly all about, which was about freedom and democracy. And it, it makes the whole story of Vietnam more tragic than it already was yeah. to realize that we could have been friends. We could have been, <laughs> yeah. it could have worked. But I guess, like you said, because of the location, because they were there hanging off of China, it fit with our paranoid dream about this domino theory. And we couldn't appreciate his reaching out to us in a spirit of respect and friendship and being an ally. I also think it was xenophobia. About Asians. Yes. Yeah. That couldn't be trusted. And now right. look at China. They really are becoming the world superpower. I did something retro last night, very retro. I watched Diabolique, or Le Diabolique, as you may know it. Do you the know old the one? Movie? The black and white one? Yeah. Oh, I do know it. It's wonderful yeah. with Simone you know, Signore. She's amazing. Well, she I was is. listening to this thing from Slate Podcast. It was called Flashback, and they do, I think it's once a month, and they'll look at a movie from sometime in history. I mean, it could be a silent film. It could be from 10 years ago. They happened to do Diabolique. And I, I was yeah. listening to them take this apart sort of beat by beat. And I thought, I have got to watch this movie again. Oh, yeah. And I remember seeing it the first time when I was working at MGM. Oh, really? And wanting to remake it. And didn't, didn't Sharon Stone do a remake or somebody? It did. Not that long ago. In like the 90s, maybe? Yeah. Or was it the 90s? It might have been well, the 90s. Yeah. With Isabel Ajani. Is oh, okay. Anyway, I have to say, it so holds up. Oh, I Even bet. though I knew it, I knew all the beats. I had just heard all the mm -hmm. beats repeated to me. It yeah. still holds up. It's so yeah. well done. Yeah. And the thing that happened to me, you would have liked this, when I called it up on Amazon Prime for no money, it oh, is a nice. no money rental, they did not include subtitles. So oh. I had to go with closed captioning. And I oh. think closed captioning is probably less specific to the language because I could, oh. hear, I could hear certain words that I recognized that weren't quite translated in the same way. Compared to normal subtitles, you mean? Right. Okay. Subtitles that would have been done by the film company. By the film company, right. But it, it is just really, it's such a great film. You know, back when I used to read, <laughs> I don't do anymore. How long ago was that? Well, I don't know. Since phones and computers came out, I just stopped reading. But Simone Signore wrote an autobiography called Nostalgia Isn't What It Used To Be. And it's <laughs> so good. And really? it's got all this stuff about her and Yves Montan and oh, yeah. Marilyn Monroe at the Beverly Hills Hotel in a oh, bungalow. No. It's amazing. I mean, it's, it's got this spicy 
Hollywood detail to it. And anyway, it's a really great book. Oh, and I love her. She's so good. I mean, the guy is very good. The woman was married to Closette, I believe is the director's name. And oh, yeah. um, whoever played the lead was the wife of the director. Right. And she's good, but she's just uh -huh. not Simone Signore. Yeah. So extra about her. She's a little blah. She's, she, and she was supposed to be blah, bland. too. And she's supposed to be bland. Yeah. Oh, how um, fun. Oh, I highly endorse, and you would probably love to do it without the subtitles because. Oh, well. Yeah, but when they talk too fast, I can't follow the French anyway. So I, That's I would, true. I I would do the closed captioning. Even in English films, American films even, I, I find myself doing subtitles more and more frequently. I just watched something. I got a week of HBO Max for free because I'm doing oh, it nice. on my computer. I bought a cable this week to hook up my laptop to my TV so that hopefully I can look at HBO Max. On my TV. Oh. I'm going to watch all the Harry Potter movies because I never really, I saw them, but I, I didn't really soak them up the way I want to. It was the just first couple I, are a little rough. I mean, the first couple yeah. are, are not as good as the next group. Oh, okay. Well, I do like the Maggie Smith's entrance in the first one. It's very oh, good. Oh, she's great. And um, she's enough of a hook for me to draw me in and want to watch them over again. Yeah. And all of those great British actors. I mean, yeah. 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 And, yeah. Ian McCallum. Richard Harris. And Ian yeah. Yeah. They're all in there, John Hurt. Yeah, they all, all are. in there. Yeah, it's amazing. So what was I going to say? Oh, so uh, I, I was watching I May Destroy You, which is something that I've been hearing about for a month. That right. is the greatest thing since Fleabag. Oh. And the woman is from Ghana. She speaks with a British accent. Couldn't understand a fucking thing she was saying. <laughs> so I had to put it on closed caption just to be able to follow the plot. And I think I'm just going to do that from now on because it makes it so much easier. I've been watching something on HBO Max called, I don't know if I spoke about it before, I'll Be Gone in the Night. I'll Be Gone in the Dark. I know what you're talking about. How's that? Yeah. Well, it's perfect for me because it's a true life crime documentary. But it's got such a great format because it's told through the eyes of this writer who wrote for, is either Los Angeles or LA Weekly. I think it was Los Angeles Magazine. And, and she was married and to? She was married to this guy who's on a sitcom. He was on King of Queens. Pat Oswald, yeah, and famous so, comedian. And tragically, she died. So I guess he's put this together because they had so much footage before she died. So it's fun because it's a crime story, but it's told through her point of view as the person reporting on this. And so it's, it's got a twist that other crime series don't have. But she was working parallel to the police, is that right? She yes, was trying she was, to solve it on her own? Well, I don't think she was trying to supplant the police consciously, but she really was a natural born investigative reporter. Huh. And she couldn't let go of the story. And she, she kept finding these connections, these angles that the cops hadn't explored. And she would just look into them herself. And then at certain points, she's actually working kind of in tandem with some of the detectives. But it's fun to see her life turned a little bit upside down by doing this and dealing with the obsession of the job. I was going to say. Also raising a kid, you know, and being in a family and having to really function. So it, it's fun because, you know, a lot of the crime series I watch, the fictionalized ones, they're always about, especially the Scandinavian ones, which I really love, they're always about the detective with this some deep intractable psychological issue that makes it very hard for them to function in their daily life. Right. And yet they're very good at solving crimes. And she kind of fits that role. She's not a detective per se, she's a reporter. But there's tension in her personally about how do I hold this passion and this obsession with finding out what's going on here 
with actually living my daily life. You know? Was that hard for her? In certain points, yeah, it is. Interesting, that because I always think that having a child sort of, for me... Does it give you perspective? Well, that was always the priority. It was always a priority, even though I had a career. My career, I mean, I had homework, I went to an office and right. I home with stuff. But if there was an issue, the kid always was first. Right. So that's just interesting that she had that difficulty because she was so obsessed with yeah. the killer and finding yeah, yeah. the killer. Did she find the killer? Is well, that, I haven't is that watched all the episodes yet. They dole them out on Sunday nights. So I've only seen the first two or three. But you know the killer's going to be found because all you have to do is Google Hillside Strangler or whatever he was called. Right. And you can see that they did eventually find him. So you kind of know they're going to find him. But it's interesting. There's parts where her safety becomes is huh. put at risk because she's so driven to find out what's going on. That's really oh. interesting. Now, do you know whether she was that obsessed with everything she did? Well, I don't know. She she wrote a book about this and about the whole the whole experience of working on this story, and that's sort of the basis of what this series is. Huh. So I imagine her book probably has that same title. Well, boomers, we're going to say goodbye now. Time farewell. Let's not say farewell. Let's just say adieu. Adieu. Let's just say, I'm so glad we had this time together. Just to have a laugh and sing a song. Bye, boomers. And others. Hang in there. Stay safe. Yep. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>